This podcast is brought to you by Premiere, the UK's leading Christian media organisation. As we approach the end of our financial year, we want to remind you that podcasts like this are only possible due to the generosity of supporters like you. You could help reach millions of people throughout the year through shows just like this. Make your best gift today at premierchristianradio.plus. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Well, hello and welcome along to this week's edition of The Profile with me, Justin Briley. And don't forget that The Profile is brought to you in partnership with Premier Christianity magazine. Indeed, my guest is going to be featured in the October edition of the magazine. And if you'd like a free sample copy of the mag, then do go to premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Joining me on the profile today is the Reverend Giles Fraser. He's a priest, a journalist, a broadcaster, rector of St Mary's Newington and a well-known personality really in the UK. His recent book Chosen, Lost and Found Between Christianity and Judaism tells the story of the personal crisis that followed his resignation from St Paul's Cathedral and the healing journey of reconnecting with his Jewish roots. So Giles, welcome along to the profile. Great to have you with us today. Justin, nice to be here mate. It's good to see you. Um, tell us what life is like as a parish priest in a culturally diverse area of South London. What does that look like for you from day to day and week to week? I, I'm an odd job man, really, with a sort of side issue of spirituality. Um, <laughs> I, it's just today has been one of those days where, you know, you, you just deal with everything from the organ needing fixing to Thames water coming to... Uh, sorting out the parish website to dealing with people's personal crises to, you know, there's just 101 different things. <laughs> some of it is very, very mundane. Some of it is clearing up people's needles because we have a bit of drug issue around here and then going and doing morning prayer. So what mm. can I tell you? It's the mm. most diverse job on the planet, I think. What's the, if you like, feel of the church that you pastor? Is it um, sort of high Anglican? Uh, do you offer sort of daily, uh, you know, Eucharist, that kind of thing? It is It is high church, smells and bells, but all of the um, servers wear Nikes. And um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's sort of, it's an odd combination of informal. Uh, it's a sort of just about a black majority church. Mm. Um, but it has that sort of high church um, vibe as well. That, that's interesting. Is that the, the the vibe that you've enjoyed yourself? I mean, is that has that been your tradition, the high church, throughout your, your own priestly career, as it were? It, it is. I, I quite like liturgical formality. I quite, the, the, I think the centre of my spiritual life is the Eucharist. Um, so things sort of grow out from the Eucharist here in this church, and they do for me as well. Um, I mean, I've been in all sorts of churches, but I think a sort of high church uh, environment is one that I, I I sort of naturally find conducive. Yeah, helps um, my prayer life. I mean, without casting aspersions on, on other traditions, it, it, is it something about the the fact that you're part of something that goes back literally millennia? Um, do, do, do you just find it, do you struggle when there's, you know, guitars and drums and i'm not terribly good and you're right i don't want to cast aspersions on other traditions but i'm not terribly good when people get get all chummy with the divine really <laughs> um I, i'm not very chummy with the divine i have a much strong strong i suppose i have a much stronger sense of god sort of um uh 
a sort of mystical God's otherness, that, that mm. God is hard. Um, and I find a sort of like wholly imminent sense of God as being, you know, next to me doing the washing up. Mm. And, and that, that's, that's, not quite so, that's not quite so present with me. I find God um, difficult to, to um, uh, access, I suppose, and that struggle to access God is something that happens through music, through beauty, through the scriptures, obviously, and through our mm. tradition. But mm. but it isn't it isn't sort of um, yeah. It, uh, that's the best way of putting it. It's yeah. not it's not being chummy with the divine. Interesting way of putting it. Tell us about life growing up then for you. Um, you weren't particularly, I think, raised in a household where church going was a sort of major part of life. Um, what? How did you end up being a priest, given given your background on that front? No, it wasn't very, it wasn't particularly religious. My dad's uh, originally Jewish. Um, um, he, he was in the RAF, so we've moved around all over the place. So I've been a bit of a nomad um, going to all sorts of places. And um, so I went to boarding school from when I was seven. So there was a sort of an anchor there. And they were Anglican schools, but uh, I guess nominally so. Perhaps that's a little unfair, but, mm. you know, um, it, it didn't capture my imagination anyway. And I always thought of myself as a pretty hardcore atheist and um, uh, went to university. And it was at university that things started to change for me. I did philosophy at university. And one of the side issues for me was doing philosophy of religion. I started to read all these people that uh, they just completely captivated my imagination. It was a very bookish, very unfashionably bookish journey, Mm. uh, Justin. You know, it was... And um, and even I mean, it's this is crazy now, um, but even to the point where I mean, I sort of converted with my head in a book um, and it was in a library mm. and I, I looked up. And the moment I thought that, I mean, for a long time, I was one of those people that other people said, you know, he has this strange hobby. Religion is this strange, this sort of thing that he's really interested in. And I'd never go to church. It wasn't mm. a part of what I did at all. Mm. But the adventure was in the books. Right. And I suddenly, in with my head in a book, in the library in King's College London, I suddenly decided that this was it. I had to give my life to it. And um, I, I got up and went and found the nearest priest, who was the chaplain. And the very first thought I had, uh, I was, I'm going to be a priest. I want to be a priest, which was crazy because I didn't even go to church, Justin. Mm. I mean, I didn't Mm. even go to church. (laughs) And uh, so I found this poor, unsuspecting chaplain and I told him that I was going to be a priest and this was terribly important. How did I do it? And he obviously thought I was completely crackers and um, very kindly explained the process to me. And anyway, that's what happens. So. Wow. That, and the rest is history. Is it? How, how did your family react to this remarkable conversion at university? Well, I thought it was some sort of eccentric. I think they thought it was another form of rebellion, another right. form of eccentricity. And, and, it, and it, I mean, in a sense, it was. I mean, it was mm. another form of rebellion. It, mm. it was, you know, it was a sense that the secular language that I had been given and that I sort of fully inhabited was not able to describe the fullness of what I wanted to describe about the world. You know, there was so much more I wanted to say and the language, the secular language that I had was just not capable of, of describing what it is that I was sort of yearning for. Mm. That's not to say it was a sort of conversion where I felt absolute certainty. It was, it was a sort of conviction. This is what I had to do with my life. And all my sort of, um, all my beliefs have all been playing catch up with that really, you know, it was, Mm. it was definitely faith seeking understanding. Mm. 
Mm. Um, and I, I, I remember going to theological college and uh, for the first night and lying there and looking up at the ceiling and thinking, oh, my word, have I started to write checks that I can't intellectually cash? You know, I mean, I'm, I'm just, you know, these, you write these faith checks, but yeah. is there enough belief in the bank to cash it out? Well, I think that's actually quite a lot of people have that experience, yeah. you know. And, and I, in a sense, I've sort of had that experience um, throughout my ministry, but I've I've learned to sort of be much more relaxed about it. Right. Um, I, I, the faith I, I, is, is yeah. the sort of conviction uh, and the intellectual doubt sort of... Um, something that I don't that doesn't trouble me as much as it mm. used to in some ways it may be the opposite that's the danger in ministry of being absolutely sure that you're the most qualified person for this because that that can breed a kind of arrogance I suppose um and, oh, I'm and... definitely not that I'm definitely not the most qualified person for this but I don't even know what it would be to be qualified for this you well, know? exactly yeah and I mean yeah. if you look at the people that 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 God calls throughout the scriptures I mean he does call a funny collection of hmm. wrong and um, strange people, doesn't he? I mean, you yeah. know, there's just like th- throughout the scriptures. I mean, David, I mean, I ask you, you know, <laughs> so, so, but, so, you know, that's. Um, yeah, I, I, well, that, that's really helpful as an introduction to sort of your own path towards priesthood. Um, tell us a little bit about your own family, though, because obviously in your, in your book, Chosen, Lost and Found Between Christianity and Judaism, you it, it's really a journey where you uh, you call it a ghost story because it's rediscovering the kind of religious ghosts that you hadn't quite realised were there in your past, especially on your father's side with the, the Judaism. Um, now, he had sort of left that behind to some extent, I think. Um, and so it wasn't particularly something that was talked about, I believe, in when you were growing up. Just tell us about the circumstances that led to you reconnecting with with the the Jewish background on your father's side of the family. Yes, of course. So, um, well, you're right to say that it wasn't. So it was something I sort of knew about that my dad had uh, was born Jewish and then was uh, baptized, confirmed later in life. I didn't know much, really much about it. Um, and I knew that my surname Fraser was originally Friedeberg. So there was this, obviously a backstory to that. Mm. But um, I. It was after I was 10 years ago in a few months time, uh, uh, I, there was a whole Occupy thing at St. Mm. Paul's mm. and um, I was the canon chancellor of St. Paul's Cathedral and I resigned out of a difference of view with my colleagues about how, how that should be approached. And I had no idea what I was supposed to be doing next. I mean, I really didn't. There, was, there really wasn't a plan B even. Um, but anyway, um, the Bishop of London suggested that I go and look at, uh, a job in Liverpool and so I went up for the for the job interview and I always get to places really early and I got up there and I was feeling sort of like I don't know anybody in Liverpool I sort of feel quite lonely in Liverpool it felt like it's almost exile and I had, as I was sitting there having a cup of coffee early in the morning one thought crossed my mind which was that actually there was a very distant connection which that was my great-grandfather's brother so that's pretty distant was uh, the, the person who ran the synagogue um, in Toxteth in Princess Road, a beautiful synagogue. So I went up and, and had a look and knocked on the door, not really expecting very much, and a caretaker let me in. And th- then I saw this oil painting of my distant relative uh, hanging on the wall, wearing a dog collar and looking 
to all extent purposes like an Anglican clergyman, but he ran the synagogue. Mm. Uh, and that's what, you know, Jewish uh, religious leaders looked like in, in the... There was a kind of assimilation uh, almost, wasn't there? Huge, huge amount. And, yeah. and the books, a lot of the books about that story of assimilation, yeah. about mm. how a lot of Jewish leaders, called the Minhag Anglia, they wanted to be, you know, like mini versions of the Ch- Jewish versions of the Church of England, you know. Sure. Mm. Uh, and even and and the, and the very existence of the chief rabbinate is is a an attempt to copy the idea of the Archbishop of Canterbury. Mm. Anyway, so I looked at this oil painting and I had a sort of a something quite profound moved within me. I don't know how to describe it really. And I went and sat down at the side of the road and I just wept for a long time. And uh, it was like suddenly I just didn't know my place. I mean, there was it had been quite. Uh, difficult to leave St Paul's and t- to work out where my place was in the world. And this was another, wh- where are you from? What are you all about? Uh, and I sort of like, there was a sort of, a, I guess, there's sort of a crisis um, that happened. Um, Disraeli said to Queen Victoria that he felt like the, the blank page between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I sort of felt a bit like that. Queen Victoria had no idea what he was talking about, but I really, really do. It was It was that sense of being caught in between um of, of that something having been lost without it being mourned so the book is an attempt to sort of negotiate that space really and i mean it, it, it doesn't resolve it uh as much as i sort of feel comfortable in that in that in between type of space or if that's the right way of even describing mm. and, and obviously the relationship that i had with my past is also there on a much wider canvas in the relationship between Christianity and Judaism. This is a mm. this is a complicated yeah. relationship, and it's one that um, most Christians don't fully sort of understand a lot of the complexity about it. That Jesus wasn't a Christian. That mm. you know, probably Paul wasn't. You know, <laughs> probably that world wasn't even. I mean, used of St. Paul. You know, so these yes. were Jews. Jesus' first followers of Jews, they died as Jews, uh, most of them, not all of them. And, and you know, Jesus was a temple-going uh, Jew. Uh, he had disagreements with the temple, but, like, many Jews did. That's not, mm-hmm. you know, that's... So, so how does this... Um, you know, people have asked this question before, but for me, this is a sort of existential question about my being. How does... Yeah this thing called Christianity, develop out of Judaism? Is it a parent-child thing? Is it a divorce thing? Is it What's the right metaphor for mm, it? Mm. So that's what I was looking at. It, it, it's very much is part personal memoir about as you uh, look into and come to grips with your own Jewish ancestry and, and a theological kind of account of the way Christianity, as it were, <laughs> came to account for the way it, its own relationship to, to, to Judaism and and to, to that extent, what, what you know, on the personal side of this, what did, did this journey do for you? Because, I mean, maybe, maybe just talk a little bit more about those circumstances uh, that led you to that moment in Liverpool on the side yeah. of the road, bawling your eyes out. Yeah. Um, you'd, you'd kind of been going through something of a personal crisis. Um, for those who haven't, 
you know, are not up to speed. And we've got a lot of listeners, especially on podcast in the US, who won't be aware at all, probably, of the Occupy movement, what happened at St. Paul's 10 years ago. Um, just explain, you know, your role at St. Paul's, what happened in that in, in that instance. And and yeah, and then perhaps we can we can sort of see how that led on to this this particular. Or, let me say a general point before I answer that specific point. The general point about the relationship between autobiography and theology mm. is, is a rather important one. And some people have read the book and said it's two books. One is a sort of personal reflection and one is theology. It's not. It's mm. absolutely not. Is mm. that uh, I don't think uh, there's any way of doing theology properly without it being properly personal and that's what you you know before the advent of the university where the university is the thing that did theology mm. you'd get books like augustine's confessions which is you know about him nicking fruit and, yeah. and and his views about you know his own sexual desire and all of that lumped in with prayers and and theological reflections so the genre has become i think narrowed theology genre has become narrowed down to something that's done by theologians and i regret that so it's a mm. it's an attempt to push back against that by being personal but yes <clears throat> so the the circumstances of of um what happened at st paul's was i was the sort of um i, I was the canon theologian i guess at, at, at um st paul's cathedral and um the occupy movement uh, turned up they they turned up for the stock exchange, which was next door to the cathedral. They got kicked off the land and they camped outside St. Paul's Cathedral. And there was uh, and historically, the thing about St. Paul's is historically its grounds were used as going back to the Middle Ages, a place of debate. Mm. This was a place of public debate. Um, and whatever we think of Occupy, there was after the crash of 2008, there was a really strong sense that how the markets worked, whether they worked for the benefit of all. This was a live issue of public debate. So in a sense, I thought, well, this is opportunity as well as, you know, a, a, obviously a practical challenge to the cathedral. And um, it sucked in many different views about, you know, there were some people who thought these are all smelly layabouts <laughs> and, uh, you know, what are they doing here? Uh, and there were those who thought that actually they were raising important matters of public concern. So, mm. you know, uh, um, so actually what happened was right early on when they first turned up, I was sort of officer watch for the great ships and pools. Mm. And and uh, I, uh, I I had to deal very the first morning on a Sunday morning with whether with a situation where I sort of there was a whole load of protesters outside the church and. Um, people couldn't get in for worship. So I, I, I sort of, I, I had a hunch that if I asked the police to move aside, uh, that the protesters might do the same. And mm -hmm. that's what I asked. And that's what happened. And people were able to access the church. Uh, and um, so, I mean, in a sense, it sort of worked well, but the press picked me up the next day as being a sort of like revolutionary um, that I'd asked the police to stand aside, which I actually asked both. And then one of the protesters said, are we allowed, you know, can we come to church? Well, mm. you know, that's, that's a, that's a <laughs> no brainer for a priest to be asked if you can come to church. Everybody's welcome to church. Mm. So the headlines were um, Canon says police move aside, protesters welcome to church, you know, and it was one of those sort of headlines, which is, Although technically true, it's rather... <laughs> you know, Ar arguably, Giles, it was also 
you know, perhaps feeding into a certain expectation. You were writing a regular column at this point for The Guardian, you know, very left leaning paper. You, you it, Arguably, you, you, you were sort right. of, you know, th- this was people right. were reading into this situation. Hey, there's revolutionary left leaning Giles you know, for for the Occupy protest. Um, so, I mean, I'd like I'd like to think that I mean my politics has turned quite a long way away from that since. But uh, I'd like to think that even if it was even if it was someone with a completely different political hue, they'd have still could the easily have made the same sure. made the same decision. You know, yeah. and 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 I and I would have ex- hoped and expected if protesters said, "Can we come to church?" that they too would have said, "Yes, of course, you're very welcome." That's that's yeah. not a particularly revolutionary view, <laughs> but you are correct because yeah. I had, I have had a sort of like left and even a hard left past um, that it, it did indeed, you know, it was very easy to yeah. make all those links. Yeah. yeah. But in, in the end, you, you came to a crunch point where there was a decision needed to be made by the yeah. authorities at the cathedral about what to do with the protesters. Yeah. Um, and, and you at the time were, were very much about, no, we need to, we, it, it'll be absolutely the wrong thing to, force with violence especially these protesters to leave um this came to a head do you want to just describe what that meant well, it, so everybody had their convictions about this and it was like this is a very fast moving and difficult situation it was and you know but my my i i watched a, a youtube clip of the police um evicting occupied protesters as it were from melbourne it happened to be in in australia and they were, went in there and they were whacking people around their heads with batons and pushing. And I thought, really, if that's what could happen here and it's the church that's sent in the police, I mm. think that's a real. I don't I can't do that in conscience. Mm. I really mm. can't. Mm. And OK, it's a mess and it's there's practical problems and so forth. Um, but, you know, there's there's ways of negotiating without the church sending in the police. But my colleagues had different convictions. They saw it differently. And so, uh, and they voted for eviction mm. by the narrowest of margins. Um, but I, I felt that I couldn't really carry on down that path mm. um, with a sort of integrity. So that's why I felt I had to go. Um, it's, it's, a hard, it's a hard decision because, you know, some people will say, well, you stay in and you fight for what it is you believe. But there's always a point where you go, you know, if I... If, if I don't resign at this point, all the things that I've said I believe just don't, mm. don't really yeah. count for yeah. very much, you know. Yeah. So, and it was a, it was clearly a turning point in, in my career, in mm. my life, you know, and all sorts of things. It, but um, it was a brave I, decision to take, I think. Um, but obviously, it did leave you sort of cut adrift at that point, and and a sudden change of, you know, prospects suddenly, you know in need of employment, um, if only to support yourself and the family. Um, what was that period like? And uh, you, I think you even arguably doubted your vocation. I mean, I think you'd, you'd looked at the possibility of, you know, jumping ship and doing something else. Uh, very, very briefly. It was that, that was, that was, I, I've, I've always had, a, I've always felt a very strong calling to be a priest and, mm. and to be a, a, and actually to be a parish priest. So, you know, there was, you know, all of that sort of stuff, it sort of plays with your head. I mean, you know, it, at the height of it, I, I would get, you know, phone calls from major political figures. Ed Miliband would call me up and say, well done this. And Boris, uh, who was mayor of London, called for my resignation. And then someone would call me up and say, do you want to go into 
I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. And, you know, your, <laughs> your, your brain is exploding with yeah, ridiculous sort yeah. of things that, that normally you don't have to deal with. So I was, you know, for a few weeks, I didn't know what I should be doing. But it, it pretty clearly, you know, it was pretty quickly it became clear that, of course, I'm a priest. This is what I do. Mm, so mm. I just have to... I just have to reimagine. Mm. And, and I think the resignation, in a way, was also good for me because um, I, I, think, I, I think us clergy don't often realise the insidious way in which uh, you can sort of, you can think of yourself as more important than you are, in, especially in a place like St Paul's. Mm. And you, there's a sort of little vanity, there's all those sorts of things that creep in, and however much you pretend they're not there, you know, you know that you know that they were there when you lose them, you know, mm. and you lose mm. that sort of sense of self-importance. So spiritually, it's very good for me. It was exactly what needed to exactly. But, but at what the same time, you do describe this period of of kind of drifting a bit in terms of just you know losing a bit of focus. Um, obviously, that dark night of the soul stuff, Justin, yeah, and, and like, have, and that's and the book starts in a very dark place. You know, mm. I mean, it was. It was it it starts contemplating with suicidal thoughts and you know my marriage fell apart mm. and I drank too much and you know all those sorts of all of those sorts of things that are characteristic of that sort of um those, those sort of crisis times. Um and yeah, so the book is also a, a, about trying to write my way out yeah. of that sort yeah. of dark night of the soul, really. Yeah, and, and that's obviously where you know the story picks up this new chapter as it were when when you uh, it was actually I think in the circumstances where you were you were looking at a possible job at um, Liverpool Cathedral when yeah. you decided just on a whim almost to go to that yeah. synagogue uh, and then saw this picture of your uh, your ancestor and and yeah suddenly and and the, and the poor publishers of this book so when I resigned they said would you like to write a book about capitalism or in the city yeah. and so forth and I, I said you know I'm happy to do that what they got was a book on Christian Jewish relations <laughs> I mean <laughs> And it was like, how on earth did this happen? You know, you resign from St. Paul's. It's all about, it's all about economics. It's all about, you know, yeah, the one yeah. percent and all this yeah. sort of stuff. But actually, and I didn't tell people, you know, people knew I was having a hard time, mm. but a lot of it got put into how weird, isn't this? Yeah. I got it put into this relationship between Christian. That's what I was thinking about yeah. Yeah. in the course of this crisis. But actually it's not surprising because really what I was thinking about is who am I? Where am I in the world? How am I rooted? How am I placed? And that became focused mm. on the relationship between yeah. me and my Jewish yeah. past and the, the, that, you know, the lostness yeah. of that. And yeah. so it, well, it, in, well, in the end, looking back, it looks like an obvious thing to to, yeah. to at, and, and a good, you know, six years in the making and many revisions of it. I think this was a cathartic experience by having read the book. But um, we'll come back to it. We're just going to go to a break and um, we'll continue talking about how that's worked out and um, especially in your current family which there's an interesting Jewish um, aspect to now. Um, Also love to talk about something you did already mention that your own political views have changed quite significantly since probably 10 years ago when you were at uh, St Paul's and we'll we'll talk a bit about that too but you're listening to The Profile today. Uh, Reverend Giles Fraser, priest, journalist and broadcaster joins me Justin Briley here on the show and we'll be back very shortly. These days you can't get a lot for your pound you could get a pack of balloons. A DIY face mask. Or some plasters. Ouch. Or one pound could get you great reporting, brilliant interviews, and loads of Christian news articles, all in Premier Christianity. 
in print, online and on the app for just £1 a month in the Summer Sale Limited Offer. Get yours at premierchristianity.com. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back to this week's edition of The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio. It's available on its own profile podcast. Uh, You can check that out at premierchristianradio.com forward slash the profile. And every week we're joined by interesting people from all walks of life to talk about their Christian journey. Um, Giles Fraser is rector of St. Mary's Newington, well known as a UK journalist and broadcaster too. And his recent book, Chosen, Lost and Found Between Christianity and Judaism, tells the story of the personal crisis that followed his resignation from St. Paul's Cathedral and this healing journey of reconnecting with his Jewish roots and we'll come back to the the book in a moment um I mean one thing that that has been hard not to notice is the fact that your own political sort of views have changed quite a bit over the last several years um I mean as I said at one time perceived as pretty left-wing you know column in the Guardian uh on the side of the protesters and all the rest of it but you, it feels like you've taken more of a swing to the right in recent years. So firstly, the, the first sort of I, I got wind of this was, oh, Giles is supporting Brexit. Um, that was that was I was not expecting that from you when I was at the time setting up some debates. And I actually approached you as a Christian who might speak on the Brexit side. Um, and then um, you even voted conservative at the last election. You've become a regular columnist and a podcast host for Unheard, which is an online publication that's very much sort of in the sort of anti-woke more right-leaning generally kind of viewpoint so what's heralded this change in recent years Giles? Well uh, so I hate talking about Brexit now it's just like oh it's <laughs> such a divisive issue but um the, the thing is I was on the I was on that sort of Tony Benish hard left and we were always anti the European Union this is the yeah. always the tradition of the of the left and in a sense, I haven't really changed many of my views on economics, as it were. Mm. I still, I still have a strong set. I still have what would be called a sort of left-wing view about redistribution, about tax, about the role of the state, and all of that sort of stuff. And so that side of it is the same. But I, but I suppose Brexit did make a difference. Is you know, I thought I was just continuing what the argument had always been on the left. But suddenly, I found myself. Um, cancelled I suppose from a sort of left-wing position and I was puzzled by this and and then of course when you see when you're attacked from the side that you had traditionally been on you begin to see things from a slightly different perspective Mm. and I guess I've always even though I've been a socialist though I don't know if I'd use that word anymore I've never really been a liberal Mm. so this is a you know this is a very different sort of it's a very and and for American listeners this is hard to sort of like fathom because the word liberal means something different to us than it means in America Mm. but um for me the sort of liberalism is liberalism of free market economics where the individual comes first it's all about the sort of like everything Mm. beginning with the sort of solitary individual and with choice and I've always been a communitarian I've always believed in Mm. the that Mm. the we precedes the I in church and in ethics and in all sorts of things so but I have felt that the left has become more and more liberal. Mm. Um, whereas the left that I began with was not liberal particularly. Now the left is really all about uh, my rights, my self-assertion. Mm. 
And I have a much more communitarian view. So, and that, you know, that actually is also expressed on the, more on the right as well. Mm. So uh, I suppose that's part of what's happened. Uh, I've actually felt, I, I don't think I've changed too much. I mean, a bit, but I think the categories around me have changed. I think we've lost a sense of what left and right used to mean, mm. you know, uh, and so... Uh, and and as a, a presumably lifelong maybe Labour voter up to you know the point you switched allegiance at the last general election, w- was it the fact that you were seeing the left wing politics change around you that that sort of forced you in the other direction? I mean, well, uh, at the two thousand nineteen election, there was no way I was going to vote for Jeremy Corbyn with anti-Semitism, with all the stuff about anti-Semitism that was coming mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that was just that was just not possible for me. And then also the stuff about Brexit, I, I thought it was terribly important that we mm-hmm. reclaimed. Uh, our ability for me the most important thing about brexit was that um sovereignty was repatriated uh, it, for many people i used to be a, a parish priest on a on a uh, outer city council estate in the in the west midlands uh, for a little while and one of the things that was obvious to me is that people felt power was incredibly distant there was like mm. no one's going to listen to us no one cares what we think and I sort of made, I feel I made myself a promise that I, I'm sort of on your side. You know, I've got to be on your side about this. And Brexit was, we want power to not be in some distant place, but actually to be closer to home, that we can, that we can, uh, that we can change our lives through mm-hmm. the exercise of democratic power. Mm-hmm. And so that, that for me was, you know, that's, that for me was, the absolutely only reason that I both voted for breakfast and Brexit and was like very enthusiastic about mm. it and still am actually. I mean, I think it was the most important yeah. thing that we've done in, in this country in my lifetime. And, and more latterly, your, your concerns in this sort of department have been around the kind of rise of progressive woke politics and ideologies and so on. And, and to, to that extent, I mean, you've even uh, penned a, an article for unheard recently called why is the church so woke? Um, do do you think that this has is a problem within your own you know your own area of work the church? Uh, what do I think about this? Look, uh, identity politics is. Uh, I don't like the idea that identity politics becomes a sort of substitution for um, the sort of politics which is concerned with the poor mm. uh, and with people who. So the idea that you focus on um, issues of uh, other sort of issues, but ignore people who are living in poverty. That one really, really bothers me. There, there was um, there's a fantastic uh, book uh, um, uh, about um, I, I think it's Harvard, um, Harvard or Yale, and um, this guy anal- analyzes the sort of you know all the classes and the dead demographic, and they come from they have all sorts of demographics. They have you know, different sorts of people, gay and straight, black and white, all this sort of thing, but no poor people. You know, this is like, they're, they're, they're all middle. And this to me felt like one of the things that was going on here, it's not that I'm against uh, these uh, issues and I'm on the, in a sense, I'm on the woke side of all these, these issues probably, but wokeism as a whole package, I don't like the word, so I'm sort of putting it in inverted commas, Justin, my problem with it is it misses out the sort of thing that I was concerned about as an old style socialist, which is 
the condition of people living in poverty. And that includes the white working class who are often traduced in this whole um, uh, amalgam of politics. So, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm pro-gay, all of this sort of stuff, but I just don't want all of that to carry the weight of what it is to be, as it were, progressive, you know? Mm, Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I, I don't know if, if you know, when I've spoken to other people about this issue, people who, who you know, have similar concerns and may not be coming from exactly the place you are, but I'm thinking of, a, you know, people like Douglas Murray and others who've, you know, written extensively on these issues. They perceive that there's almost a religious aspect to this and, and, and almost that these types of ideologies have become in themselves a kind of causes that have a religious nature and that, that become ultimate to people and that that there's a danger to that because it's it's a kind of fracturing of society when when you know every issue becomes ultimate to each individual would you agree with that i i think there's i think there's something to that i mean i'm not on the same page as douglas murray about a lot a lot of issues really and as i say i my my instincts are actually very very different to douglas's but i do look i'm a parish priest i i i I, I have a sense of, of, of the community in all its fullness gathering around the altar. And I want it to be the most genuinely inclusive and diverse. God calls all people to come here. So the idea that you um, that somehow you express your identity so exclusively in terms that, you know, where, where other people are the enemy. I, I'm, I'm afraid I I think that's what bothers me most about this particular moment is that we find it very difficult not to see people who disagree with us as the enemy uh, and that they're the political enemy. And it's become, uh, perhaps I've been guilty of that. Well, I'm sure I've been guilty of that in the past myself, but I have a much stronger sense of how how divisive and unpleasant these yeah. sorts of... I mean, some, some specific, you know, there, there have been some real kind of um, very well-known examples. I mean, J.K. Rowling obviously has... has cancelling is terrible stuff Uh, right cancelling is i mean for christians that there there should be no cancellation you know Mm. we're people of forgiveness and forgiveness is about uh, keeping people in the fold i just don't i i I mean i think that's the woke thing at its at at its worst that's the stuff that i really uh react badly to Mm. you know never kissed a tory uh Mm. when people wearing why not Mm. i mean Mm. Give it a go. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just like, what, what is it about people that makes them sort of like some sort of political lepers that you can't, yeah. I find this extraordinary. I've always found that extraordinary business where people find that, that some people don't have anything to give them, don't have anything to say to them. Uh, and, and it's almost as if you're, it's almost as if you're denying your common humanity with other people. And that really does bother me a lot. Mm-hmm. You 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 described yourself in, in that article as having um, found your inner conservative. I mean, you you mentioned Roger Scruton as a as a significant kind of influence on that front. Do you want to just for those who aren't familiar with with him, and he obviously passed away um, a little while ago, um, sort of describe him. I think you've had the opportunity to interview him, haven't you? Yeah. So he described himself as a paleo conservative uh, in American terms. He lived in America for a while. Um, so it's that sort of conservatism, which is more about, I mean, I'm summarising, you know, but it's more about country. It's more about place. It's about rootedness. 
It's about beauty and architecture and things like that, rather than free market economics. So he was to the right of me on that particular subject. So this idea of of some sort of rootedness and that rootedness is uh, is terribly important in place where you come from. Um, and, and I share that sense of, of that being important. I mean, I'm a parish priest. This parish has been here for 700 years. I've, I feel a sense of rootedness in, in place. And I suppose also because of my history of feeling, apropos the book, of feeling slightly deracinated about rootless, I think, I think I appreciate that sense of rootedness of place, of, of history, uh, much more uh, than I used to. So, you know, if people want to say uh, a sense of patriotism about loving your place, loving your country, loving your people, if that's if that's sort of right wing, then well, so be it. But I, I, I don't, you know, I, 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 I don't, I don't see why it should be particularly. You know, let's stop talking about politics and talk about more important things. Giles, uh, family, because um, your family yeah. situation has changed in recent years yes. as well. And, and you, you, you bring it out very well in the book, Chosen, um, because um, you're married to someone who is Jewish. And it's, that's had an interesting impact in, on the way you bring, bring up the, the children as well that you've had now. So, so tell us a little bit about that. Well, I think the most uh, I think the most striking thing I've got two wonderful at once. Um, but my wife is Jewish, she's Israeli. Um, we talk Hebrew at home. Um, mm. I I. I sort of, um, uh, you know, Annie Mevin aval Ali lo medaber. I understand, but I understand a little bit. Annie Mevin could sat. I understand a little bit, but I don't really speak it. So yes. that's what I do. I know enough to know when my mother-in-law is talking about me. That's 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 the sort of Hebrew that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, but my boys are both pretty much bilingual. They speak as much English as they do Hebrew. So that's an unusual Anglican. Um, vicarage <laughs> where hebrew is the default language a beautiful language and you know you the, the more you learn about hebrew obviously and i find languages difficult because i'm a dyslexic so but the more you learn about um uh hebrew the more the the the, the, the hebrew scriptures come alive you know in the mm-hmm. most in the most wonderful way so i suppose that's the you know the, but but i also at my you know advancing years i have two little ones which is uh which is obviously, as you say, the most important thing, <laughs> the most important thing for me. Um, and I love them uh, with, with, with all my kids. It's it. And they're, and they're wonderfully blended and get on with each other. And that's and, all and right. How, um, what do they think of themselves of if they think of themselves at all as anything Christian, Jewish, neither? Well, well I mean, they're too young really for all of that stuff mm. at the moment. Mm. So, you know, five and two, that's not a, sure. but, but, but these categories look, they 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 they, they had the, the 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 rabbi came from um north london and circumcised them according to the law according to proper jewish ceremony because they're jews um but i could not i'm a i'm a priest so baptism was also something that that had to happen and um the book not to give anything particularly away but the book ends with me baptizing my youngest in the jordan uh in the place where by reputation, Jesus himself was uh, was was baptized by John the Baptist uh, and surrounded by my Israeli Jewish family. And it was like um, for me, it's a sort of a it was a healing moment. Mm. Um, now, the, the question is, am I passing on to them a sort of um, a sort of fault line, a gap, a pain? Mm. It was some sort of pain to me. Or is it something? Well, 
I mean, to start with the way I'm, I mean, I, I want them to be bilingual, both uh, in language and in their religion. Hmm. Um, now, actually, that's not too difficult in Christian terms. You know, I mean, you know, we have a, we we are intellectually Jews as well as Christians. You know, if we're Christians, so that's sort of okay. Obviously, it's much more problematic from the from the Jewish side that uh, they were baptized, and I just have to, you know, if they end up rejecting all of that when they get older, then I suppose they'll just have to say, well, I'm afraid I had a vicar as a dad and he did what he did you know i mean i don't i don't know how to formulate it but at the moment you know this is what i have to give them and i give them as what i think is right and yeah um well at know, least they'll have, they'll, to see what they'll, have a, they'll have a whole book to be able to understand your thought process <laughs> but, they will yes but um i mean when when it comes to you just having those conversations when when the time comes obviously with with well dad you know what am I? We do, we do this. What am I? We go to church. Um, I mean, how will you how will you explain the person of Jesus to them? Let's start with there. What, what will you say? In oh, well, I, no, but I'm, I'm a pretty I'm a pretty straightforward, orthodox, yeah. you know, Anglican priest. So um, Jesus is the son of God. And, uh, you know, I, I, this is what I think. I don't yeah. I, I have a very straightforward Christian yeah. view about about mm. this. So that's what that's what I think. And that's mm. what I'll explain. Mm. Um, but there will come a point where they'll have to ha- have, you know, work that out for themselves. Well, actually, that's not a bad thing. You know, mm. so I will give it's not like they're being given no religion. Mm-hmm. And then they sort of have to start from scratch. In fact, they'll have quite a lot of resources with which to deal with those questions. They'll feel comfortable in church. They'll feel comfortable in synagogue. They'll have they'll have their Hebrew. They have their sort of Anglican choral tradition, I think, as well. They have all sorts of things which will go into helping them make that decision when they're older. So I, I'm not preparing them for a world that's not complex. The world is mm. complex. Mm. Um, so, you know, they're being prepared for that. Sorry, I expect that, expressed that badly. They're being prepared yeah. for a complex world, but they also are not being... Um, th- 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 there are options there for mm. them, mm. you know. Uh, and... and, and- and in a sense, I mean, I'm um, erring a lot, just yeah. I'm going uh, 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 a lot because it's obviously difficult. You know, yeah, there's no, absolutely. there's no, and and, yeah, and yeah. I think a lot of people who are in mixed marriages will understand something of this. I actually think it's, uh, I think Christians and Jews in 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 marriages, uh, I think it works much better in practice than it does in theory. Okay. You know, so we do Friday night dinner, we do mm-hmm. prayers for that. It's all fine. It's absolutely fine for daddy to do, you know, mm. you know, and um, so there's there's quite a lot which is that works pretty straightforwardly, actually. That's, um, that's interesting to hear. I, I, and to what extent is it important or <clears throat> not important that, that the church sort of engages with this issue? Because many people will feel like, well, this is an interesting theological journey you've been on. Giles and obviously it, it ties very directly into your own personal family situation that, that these all these theological questions around Judaism and Christianity does does it matter to the average churchgoer to the average church to, to what their relation specific relationship with Judaism and, and that kind well, of thing get out your bible okay mm. first of all work out how much of it is the what we sometimes I think a uh, problem with it but sometimes called the old testament work mm. out what is that what is that four-fifths yeah. you know and then something like that so mm-hmm. 
first of all, there's that argument. And then actually, even more radically, I want to say there's not that much new about the New Testament. Okay, the New Testament is also fully impregnated with the sort of Jewish worldview that, you know, there's a bit of the Greek worldview coming in. There's a little bit of but not all that much. You know, it's 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 predominantly uh, still a Jewish worldview that's being expressed here. And as I said, rather importantly, Jesus wasn't a Christian. So, you know, it just I know that sounds like it's been deliberately shocking, but, um, you know, that's that this is the sort of that seems to me unquestionably yeah. true, you know. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, Christianity is one of the weirdest religions in the world insofar as the person at its centre wasn't a member of the religion that he founded. You know, mm. that's that's a very odd business. Yeah. So, you know, if that isn't an answer to the question of why Christians should care about Jews and Judaism, I don't know what is. But then you have this interesting thing, which is that it's very often when you do find the Christians who are the most interested in Jews, they tend to be coming from uh, often a very Zionist perspective and believing that, you know, a whole set of things, the establishment of the state of Israel and everything have to happen in order for Christ to return. And uh, and, and that will involve all kinds of political and, you know, issues and so on. And that's obviously very strong in the States. Um, so. But I don't I'd be get careful with the word Zionist. That I'm definitely a Zionist, but a Zionist can simply mean you believe in the existence of the state of Israel. So it okay. doesn't being a Zionist doesn't necessarily come with all that other baggage. Baggage. Uh, all right. Well, um, that's really helpful because I, I suppose I want to, to to get a sense, just as you know, and we're in the final minutes really here, but of 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 where what that means for you in practice, because I don't get the sense that you are a kind of political activist on behalf of of Israel and 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 so on. But what does it mean? What what does it look like for you if you're not kind of if you like coming from that that kind of perspective? Well, I, I, t- I tell you what it means to me is when when, when you um, th- this is why I, I would describe myself as a Zionist. I have ch- two beautiful Jewish boys, and when you see anti-Semitism rising in this country, uh, when you see it being, I think, endorsed at the highest political levels, um, then what is it, what is Israel? Israel is a is a life raft in a dangerous world for mm. for, boy, for for people like my beautiful boys is that you know anti-semitism doesn't always go away sometimes it you know we we sometimes think you have it beat but it it isn't beat and that is their place of safety that is their place of safety and i will always uh believe you know uh, what gave zionism its its sort of final impetus is is the is the Holocaust, and that's for me why that's its major um, moral justification. In a world that can do that to people, there needs to be a place of safety, and that place of safety is Israel. It also happens that I love the place. Uh, just I and, and and I love the I love the smells. I love the geography. I love the and it's 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 my second home now, which is a lovely. I haven't been there because of COVID, but I mean, it's just, it's the most beautiful place, you know? So I'm extremely, I'm extremely fortunate to have this as my other home as well. As we wrap up today's discussion, it's been so interesting covering all these bases and your own personal journey in in the midst of all this, Giles. What about the Church of England? You know, the place where, you know, you found your home and you've been, you know, and and you're now plowing this furrow uh, as, as a local parish priest. Um, but a lot of people, you know, 
and I think you've commented on this in some of your articles, wonder whether there will be a Church of England in the future. You know, often the statistics aren't in favour of that. And and there's a lot of division within the church always on on things. You've you've been quite critical of some of the recent strategies for growth and, and that sort of thing. What's what's the future in your view for the Church of England? Well, I'm not I'm not going to crystal ball guys, but I I I believe in the uh, a sort of a, a very traditional old school uh, idea that um, the Church of England is at its best when it's in its parishes, when it's local, it's on the ground. And I think that I mean, and I suppose this this goes with all my sort of fears of being deracinated and so forth. The local is the place where it is that rootedness. And so I'm a I, I believe very strongly in the parish system and my anxiety about sort of para parish structures, which may be more uh, evangelistically fleet of foot. Um, my worry about them is that they end up cre- you end up creating a sort of two tier system in the Church of England. Uh, and that, that, that the resources will end up being diverted into those forms of uh, evangelistic activity, which can uh, produce quick results. But I think the, the, the place of the church on the ground is what makes the Church of England distinctive and important in my mm-hmm. life. I think you put it some something like this in an article. I may be misquoting, but but it's 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 less about the latest evangelistic strategy, more about just being faithful. You think that there's just a value to to doing what you're called to do and be faithful, even when you don't see necessarily the results. You know that a business might exactly hurt. sometimes sometimes there is a sort of there are quick and easy ways to to bring in the punters, hmm. um, uh, but actually what we're really called to do is not to be successful, to, but to be faithful. Mm. Now, I know there's a tension between those two sorts of things, and some people might say, well, you know, you can be both, I suppose. But sometimes, you know, we're called to, to live out the, the tradition as we understand it and as we feel called to it. And, you know, sometimes that faithfulness is a hard, difficult, and, and it, it doesn't te- feel terribly fruitful. I think this is a... I think you, there could be all sorts of biblical passages that I could, you know, bring out where people are saying these sorts of things. But sometimes the wheat that falls on the stony ground that can come up quickly is not what we should be going for. It's been lovely to chat with you. Thank you very much for the time, Giles. Um, another mention of the book, Giles Fraser, it's chosen, lost and found between Christianity and Judaism, published by, um, uh, what, what is the publisher? Alan Lane Penguin. Alan Lane Penguin, yeah, imprint of Penguin. So um, there was a link from that on today's show. Um, If you want to check that out, go to premierchristianradio.com forward slash the profile. And don't forget that uh, today's show brought to you in partnership with Premier Christianity magazine, where you can read today's profile with Giles as well. But for now, thank you very much, Giles, for being my guest on the show. Dear boy, very nice, very nice.